from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You may be seated. morning. Get set up here. Thank you for allowing me to speak this morning. A couple of things to begin. I want to say thank you to Pastor Clayton and Pastor Ben for the scripture reading cards that we have. For me, it's been very helpful. I've been able to keep up with it. And it's increased my Bible reading, which I think was one, if not the goal that you had for that. So I appreciate that. Also, I was speaking to our son, Aaron, uh, a couple of days ago about preaching. And he, we were talking about the sermon bingo thing. And I said, wow, that's really distracting. <laughs> and he told me, he said, well, that's what keeps me focused on the message. And I said, oh, well, maybe I should have planned for that. But we are not going to have a sermon bingo this morning. But we are going to have something in it, uh, instead of that. Whoever gets to me first and correctly tells me how many times I say the word God after now during my sermon gets a Subway gift card. All right? So you don't know how much it is. So. <laughs> just one so if I get tackled on the way back I'll know why one minor correction uh, the sermon said I, I don't maybe it's my mistake the sermon said that, uh, that it, it's uh, hospitality it really has little to do with hospitality more about prayer but if you feel like it has to do with hospitality then then you can uh, um, follow that but the the title of the sermon is teach us to pray so that's where we'll this will begin. 
I had hoped this morning that a man that I've gotten to know over the past year, uh, Vinicius, was going to be with us today, but he went through uh, heck week last week uh, with soccer, and he's really wiped out, and so he's not able to be with us here. But I think the next slide actually has a picture of him when we went out to eat last year. He's uh, on the left right there, and it'll be on my right, but he's on the left. And... I want to tell you a little bit about him. In February, we were driving home from Walmart, and I asked him, Vinicius, do you pray? And he answered, yes, I always pray before I go to bed, but I want to learn to pray more. And I thought about that, and I wondered how I should respond. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples. So how do we answer people when they ask us to teach them to pray or we begin to talk about prayer? It should be an easy answer because all you have to do is open your mouth and talk to God and, and you're praying. And God will listen to us. He will do things for us. He might even do a miracle. And, of course, that is prayer, our time with God. But then I wondered... What happens when we pray? Who is the God that we go to when we pray? And that's when I came up with this uh, thesis for the message. That's the next slide, please. The extent to which we approach God in prayer largely depends on our perception of who God is. And therefore, we must have a true perception of who God is. And so I'm going to talk about that through this passage, Luke chapter 11. Let me illustrate with a story. <clears throat> about how one group viewed God. Last November, Paula and I attended Parents Weekend with Aaron at Wheaton College. And during the chapel service, the Reverend Dr. Charlie Dates was speaking, and he told this story. In a small town in Mount Vernon, Texas, the Drummond Bar and Grill was scheduled to open its business just down the road from a small community church. And when the church discovered that the bar and grill, which was going to serve alcohol, was to open down the street, the congregation began to pray that God would intervene and something would happen to the bar and grill to keep them from opening. So they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And just before they opened, lightning struck that bar and grill and burned it to the ground. Now, the church members were delighted, praising God, and relieved. That was until they received a subpoena in the mail from Mr. Drummond, the owner of the bar and grill. He was accusing them of being responsible for the lightning striking his <laughs> bar and burning it to the ground. So they went to court where Mr. Drummond's attorneys accused the church and their prayers for being responsible, to which the church and their attorneys vehemently denied all the allegations, saying that they had nothing to do with the lightning striking the bar and grill and burning it to the ground. Now, during the preliminary remarks, the judge proclaimed slowly. He said, at this time, I do not know exactly how I'm going to rule on this case, but one thing to me is certain. The owner of the tavern believes in prayer, and the church members do not.
So as we approach Luke chapter 11, this is a commendation for us not only to believe in the power of prayer, but to believe in the God to whom we pray. Next slide, please. I'm going to talk for a minute just about what do we believe about God when we go to him or when we go to God? What are we thinking about? What image is in our minds? What does God look like, feel like, smell like? What does his voice sound like? What is our God image? I went through this, Paul and I both went through this exercise about 10 years ago. And we had to think about what our God image was. And it, it was striking to me. I'll get to that later. So let's go through three possible answers to that question. What is our God image? Next slide, please. Is God an angry judge just waiting for us to screw up and then he's going to come down on us with guilt and make us pay for our transgressions? Now, my father was an angry man, and I found out later on in life why I think he was so angry. He had a father who was also very angry. And my grandfather was in World War I. He had a nickname in his company as one means son of a gun. I doubt they used the word gun, but we're in church. And often I perceived my father to be an angry man, and since many of our first conclusions about our heavenly father are based on our earthly father or our earthly mother, I thought that, well, God was probably also angry, and that any time I did something wrong, I would probably receive some kind of punishment like I received from my earthly father. So if we perceive God to be an angry judge, it will affect how we approach God in prayer. Next slide, please. Because this is the uh, single sentence sermon summary. Okay. The extent to which we approach God in prayer largely depends on our perception of who God is. And therefore, we must have a true perception of who God is. Next slide, please. This is another possible image as we think about God. Is God a powerful yet distant and uninvolved presence in our lives? Much like this is a fire blanket. I actually was at, uh, in an automotive class last fall at ICC, and no, I cannot fix your car. And in the shop, they had this fire blanket, the first time I'd ever seen it. Well, the purpose behind a fire blanket is it sits on the shelf, Nightly, nicely uh, tucked in a uh, little case, and uh, you don't really need it unless you have an emergency. Most of us don't ever see a fire blanket, but most of us can imagine that it's a, it's a large and powerful and vitally important item to our survival, but only if we get in trouble. Otherwise, a fire blanket just sits tightly folded in its case, and we feel oh so good just knowing it's there when we need it. So if we perceive God to be a distant and powerful fire blanket, it will affect how, when, and even if we approach God in prayer. If I think God is distant, how much am I going to spend in time with this God? Next slide, please. The extent to which we approach God in prayer largely depends upon our perception of who God is 
and therefore we must have a true perception of who God is. Here's another image. Next slide, please. I don't know if you can see that. Some of you that grew up in the 80s will know exactly who that is. You're welcome for the Zoltar image there. Is God a venging machine or a genie who grants our wish or should grant our wish every time we ask for it? In 2013, I was attending a small business training in Lagos, Nigeria, with a good friend of ours, uh, Pastor Antoine John. And just before uh, we ended our time there, we were invited to attend a Sunday service, a local Sunday service. And since there were two churches close by, Antoine and I separated and went to two different churches. And while I sat there with our hosts, because in an African church, maybe in other churches around the world, when you're invited or when you're a guest and they realize, wow, you came quite a distance to come to our church, they will invite you up to the front. So there would be seats like we have here, and uh, I was sitting back there. Imagine that if you were just arrived today and we had you sit up here. Uh, but it's actually a sign of respect and honor. It was not to embarrass you at all. So I, I was sitting up there, and all seemed normal. They just got done taking an offering, and uh, everything seemed normal to me. But then, to my surprise, the preacher took up two additional offerings. And before each offering, we were reminded how important it is to give so that God will bless us. Now, it's not my intention to put down the African church located just outside of Lagos, Nigeria, but rather to illustrate a point that is common around the world and common in, in much of our thinking. Some Christians, even non-Christians, that believe all we have to do is pray or get um, thousands of other people to pray or like our Facebook post or something like that, and somehow magically God will respond in the way we want him to respond. We need to rub God's lamp enough so he'll eventually come out and give us what we want. And I don't bring up these, I don't bring up these three images to make us feel bad, but I bring up these images to make us think about what is our God image? What have we been prone to think about when we go to God? Is that the type of God image that we have, and how does that affect our prayers? Next slide, please. The extent to which we approach God in prayer largely depends upon our perception of who God is. And therefore, we must have a true perception of who God is. So what am I to tell Vinicius? Next slide, please. What am I to tell him or someone else? What is God like? If my image maybe is a slightly distorted, then how do we get back on track? Is God an angry judge, a fire blanket, a genie? Is God just like my father or my mother? What is God like? As we draw to a close, we need to answer these questions, and, and how we answer these questions is to come back to Jesus' response in Luke chapter 11. In order to find out the truth about God, one of our best assets is the Bible. And I think when we want to find out about somebody, we consider their character. It's very easy to see someone or hear about someone and the things they've done. This person built this. This person has done this. But I think really the best way to get to know somebody is to find out about their character, 
The Bible is full of passages that talk about God's character to tell us what God is like. And so we'll go back to Luke chapter 11. And I have the next. Oh, you got that. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Janet. Now, I was setting this up so they would come out one at a time, but um, I got tired. And so this is <laughs> what we're going to have to deal with. So you have all the answers in front of you, but that's okay. Because I think this is, this is something I found when I sat down with Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Okay? I'm not saying this is all the answers that are there. But this is something I found about the truth about God. And it starts out, it says, he said to them. Because disciples asked, they said, how do we pray? And God God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're all one, okay? So I'm going to use their names interchangeably. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. When you pray, say this. God is responsive. One of the things that the Bible tells us, the truth that God tells us about God is God is responsive. Sometimes he may seem distant, but he really is responsive. Number two, Jesus started listening out. This is how we pray. He's, Father, hallowed be your name. God is holy. We have trouble sometimes understanding that because we have no image of holy. Okay? Maybe Cecil B. DeMille and how God is presented in the Ten Commandments. I, I just don't know. A big son, I don't know. But God is holy. He sets the standard. So that's truth number two. Number three Give us each day our daily bread. God cares about our physical health. For those of you suffering with maladies, or maybe you got a cracked fifth metatarsal on your right foot. God cares about our physical health. Number four, another one I found, forgive us our sins. God wants us to be healthy, happy, and holy. Imagine if you came to church this morning, and I have done this many times, and I did something sinful over the weekend, and I felt terrible sitting in the pew because I felt guilty. I felt ashamed. I had not spent time with God and said, God, I repent of that. God takes away our sin. He forgives our sins because he wants us to be healthy, happy, and holy. He wants us to live healthy, happy, and holy lives. The way we can do that, by spending time with him, and he forgives our sins. Number five, another, another truth. We forgive others. God cares about our social and mental health. Let me give an example. When we forgive others, because the version that Clayton read, I, I love the way it's, NIV has several recent translations. Is that right? Or additions? Let me read that again. For, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Okay, that's new to me. I'm used to King James. For we also forgive. It's God's like saying, you know, I'm going to forgive because I know you're out there forgiving other people too. Let me give you an example. About 10 years ago, I was ready to preach a, not preach, I was teaching a Sunday school lesson out of a book. And the chapter was about the woman who came and anointed Jesus' feet. And I was listening to that passage, and it talked about the importance of forgiveness. And my Aunt Marg came to mind. 
okay? Now, about 30 years prior to that, my Aunt Marg had done something when I was very young. And um, it embarrassed me in front of the entire family. And my mom's parents had 12 kids, so we're talking a pretty good-sized family. And I had not forgiven my Aunt Marg for saying that, which was untrue. And I was reading this passage, and I thought, you know, before I go and start, start telling people about the importance of forgiveness, I should probably forgive myself, um, set the model of forgiveness myself. So I forgave my Aunt Marg that day. Three days later, my sister, I'm talking to her. We're still in Senegal, so I'm talking to my sister across the seas. And she said, have you heard about Aunt Marg? And I said, I haven't heard anything recently about her. And my sister said, she gave up smoking. And I said, gave up smoking? I mean, I was like five years old and my Aunt Marg was smoking. I mean, it, it just became a joke. It was, it was funny when she smoked. I don't know why, but so she had always been someone who smoked. She said she gave that all up. Cold turkey, just quit. And I said, when was that? And she said, oh, it was just a couple, three days ago. And I thought to myself, did my forgiveness affect her quitting smoking? I, I don't know. I have no evidence of that. But I know for a fact that I forgave her, and then she quit smoking. It happened around the same time. When we forgive others, things happen in the heavenly world. It affects our social and mental health. When, if you have forgiven somebody that you've held a grudge a long time, you know what it's like. It's a relief. I don't hate them anymore every time I walk by and see them. When I think of their name, I don't think bad thoughts about them. I don't avoid them anymore. There's a release there. Number six, lead us not into temptation. God wants to protect us. This is probably the hardest one because we feel like we can handle everything on our own. And when something unexpected comes up, we think, well, why did God throw me this curveball? But God does want to protect us, and he knows the best way to do it. So that's truth number six. And the final one, lend me three loaves of bread. This gets into the, the verses between 5 and 13, talking about the man who comes to a friend's house late at night, at midnight, and knocks on the door and says, lend me three loaves of bread. I have someone who I need to show hospitality to. So this sermon was about hospitality. God seeks our highest good, and I'm going to do my best to explain what I mean by that. When you read the Bible from beginning to end, we, we find themes. One of the greatest themes in the Bible that I've discovered is God's desire that we have a healthy relationship with God and that we ourselves choose that relationship. That's why we're given what's called free will, to choose this or to choose that. God created everything perfect. Adam and Eve were created perfect and given free will. They chose something else over God, and the consequences of that choice separated them from God, what we call the fall. However, the consequences were not permanent separation from God. We're not permanently separated. Otherwise, all of us here would be continually separated from him. God speaks of Jesus who would come to allow us relationship again with God, access to God, and as in Luke 11 points out, the shameless, same, shameless audacity and boldness to say, lend me three loaves. 
when it says shameless, it means we no longer have that shame. We've been forgiven. So when we approach God, we don't do it with arrogance, but we approach him with confidence. God seeks our, that's, that's part of our highest good, is being able to approach God with confidence and not being afraid of him because he's a judge, because he's distant blanket, or because he's a, some kind of bending machine. God speaks of Jesus who would come and allow us that relationship. The God of the Bible can be trusted because the truth about his character proves it. Not just our experience. I know a lot of times we live according to our experiences. Something bad happened. God took a friend away or something. I lost a job. And so my experience dictates who God is. It's the Bible that gives us the truth about God found in the Bible. Because the extent to which we approach God in prayer largely depends on our perception of who God is. And therefore, we must have a true perception of who God is. So, slide, next slide, please. In conclusion, this hopefully will sum up what I just got done saying. We need to know how to pray. Jesus teaches us how to pray. We need to know the truth about the God we pray to. Truth is found in the Bible. God is not an angry judge. God is not a distant blanket. God is not a bending machine genie. God is responsive. God is holy. God cares about physical, social, and mental me, us. God wants us to be healthy, happy, and holy, and God protects us, and God seeks our highest good. My challenge to all of us is that we read the truth about God found in the Bible and then pray to God. Thank you.